So first of all, we're reading from Galatians chapter 5, and that's verse 13 to 26, and that's page 1172. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your, free, use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness or orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And... Our second reading is from Titus, and it's chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, and that's page 1199. <laughs> At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of, our, of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justice by, justified by his grace, we might, come, we might come heirs having the hope of eternal life. And your love to us. And as we now think about what it means for the Spirit to bear the fruit of kindness in our lives, we pray you'd be working, just powerfully working in us. Father, we recognize just how much we lack in that area. And so I pray that you'd humble us, soften our hearts, speak to us in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've not been with us, just to bring us up to speed a little bit in this series, we are thinking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we've been thinking about the Holy Spirit, uh, we decided that we'd look a little bit at the fruit of the Spirit this side of Christmas and be thinking about the gifts of the Spirit uh, after Christmas. And we've been sort of meditating on these verses from Galatians 5. 
And we've seen how the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He is not a lesser person. He's not a thing or an it or a force. He is one of the members of the Godhead, a person of the Trinity, worthy of equal honor with the Father and the Son. We've also seen that he is the Spirit of Jesus. He shines his light onto Jesus, and he also fills our lives so that we increasingly become like Jesus. And as he fills our lives, one of the things that we've seen is that he is, in his very nature, the spirit of love. And as he makes his home in our lives, he gives us the the power to change and to grow and to begin to bear this loving fruit from the inside out. And I think one of the things that we've seen in Galatians 5 is the really strange notion that fruit, as opposed to works, is actually about us being commanded to do what only the Holy Spirit can do in us. It's a really remarkable thing that we're being commanded to do things that actually it's impossible for us to do without God's Spirit living in us. And so... Paul's been saying in Galatians 5, we heard it again this morning, keep in step with the Spirit. He's also, really, it's a kind of echo on what he says back in Ephesians as well, or a little bit further on in Ephesians, when he says, listen, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying, really, in both of these cases is, Listen, actually, the way that we keep in step, the way that we begin to do what only the Spirit can do in us is by surrendering our lives, giving ourselves over to a new leader, a new ruler, a new power over us. So as we keep in step with the Spirit, we're asking the Spirit to lead the way, to take control. We're surrendering ourselves to him. And as we do that, he will bear the fruit of love in our lives. And we've seen so far that the fruit of love is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance. And today, we're thinking about kindness. But I do want us to see that each of these virtues are really just what love looks like in practice. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love is patient, Love is kind. So really, when we think about kindness, all we're really thinking about is is an expression of love. What does it actually mean in practice for us to begin to show love to others? So imagine for a moment, it's, it's a very special occasion, and you want to buy flowers for the one you love. And so you dash into Aldi, and all those beautiful, you know, bouquets of flowers are in front of you. And you're looking at them all and and you're thinking, which of these really, which of these bouquets is going to really express my love? And the shop assistant says, well, listen, we've got the special Halloween bouquet. Maybe that's the one you should be going for. Or we've got the love bouquet of flowers. I suspect we would choose the love bouquet 
bouquet. And in a sense, Paul is saying here that the fruit of the Spirit is that love bouquet of flowers. That's what it is. It's a great bunch. And every single one of these virtues is a different way of expressing love. It's a different facet of love. It's a different flower of love in the big bunch. So that's what these nine virtues are all about. But virtue is quite a good word for it. So it's not just acts, is it? It's not just action. It's something from the inside out. It's something to do with our character. There's a difference between what we do and who we actually are. And Paul is interested not just in what we do. The Spirit is interested in not just what we do, but where that's coming from, where it's coming from inside of us. So we thought about how some of us are police officers and some of us are bandits. And I don't know which one you tend towards. Are you a rule keeper, a rule enforcer, or a rule breaker? But Galatians is saying to us, there's a different way of living. There's a third option. We're not to live by the law as police officers. We're not to live by the flesh as bandits. But actually, we're to live by the Spirit. It's an entirely different way of thinking. In fact, both the police officer and the bandit are really trying to live according to rules of one kind or another, either rules enforced upon them or rules that they've made for themselves. And Paul's saying, listen, the Christian life is not about keeping up appearances. The Christian life is not just about what's going on on the outside. It's about being led by the Spirit. It's about life change. And kindness is a really good example of that, isn't it? Because I think when we talk about kindness, very often we don't just say, that person has done a kind thing. We will say, aren't they a kind person? Because we recognize that kindness is more than just the action. It's flowing from the inside out. And that's really what each of these sort of elements, these flowers in the bouquet are all about. And that's exactly what kindness is about today. So here's what I want us to see. Spirit people are changed people from the inside out. And what that means in practice is that spirit-filled people are kind people. I don't know what you think about that. Whether kindness would be in your top nine qualities, what it means to be a Christian. It's striking, isn't it? I mean, kindness is quite hard to define. We'll have a go in a minute. But we kind of know it when we see it, don't we? And kindness has a really lasting quality to it. Often long after we've thought about what someone's done or the achievements that they've made, we kind of remember whether or not they were kind. Kindness is powerful. But often in the world, it is seen as a weakness. It amused me. I kind of flicked onto um, the latest version of The Apprentice on TV. And if you've ever seen the show The Apprentice, it's all about a group of kind of wannabe, um, uh, wannabe partners of 
Lord Sugar, all kind of competing to work out which of them is going to be his apprentice. But it kind of made me laugh because it's still banging on. It's the same old kind of message that you have to be mean and you have to kind of put yourself forward. You have to push yourself to the front in order to excel and in order to be kind of shown to be the right material for Lord Sugar. Kindness is weakness. But actually, the real business world has learned a long time ago that actually kindness in the workplace causes everyone to flourish, actually increases productivity in the workplace if people are kind to each other. But I wonder whether we value kindness. It kind of seems like an added extra, doesn't it, to be kind? But here in Galatians 5, it is essential. It is what it means to be a Christian. So spirit-filled people are kind people. (laughs) He's the spirit of kindness. That's who he is. So, you know, we might be smart, but are we kind? We might be well taught and theologically accurate. But are we kind? We might be great leaders and charismatic personalities. But are we kind? We might be popular. We might be well respected. But are we kind? And I suspect in our kind of family of churches, churches that regard themselves as Bible-believing churches, evangelical churches, I wonder whether we value kindness in the same way that we value rightness. Because it's one thing, isn't it, to have churches that are, are known, renowned for their soundness. Renowned for their activism, renowned for their impact and their energy. It is another thing to have churches that are known for being kind. So how are we going to define kindness this morning? Well, I just want to read a a couple of verses from Isaiah 63 in a moment. But in Isaiah 63, what we see is God's incredible faithfulness to his own promise to to make a family for himself, to love that people, that he would be their God and they would be his people. But we also see the way that these people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, were incredibly rebellious against God. They didn't want God in their lives. They turned their back on him and they rejected him. But Isaiah 63 tells the story of how God remains faithful to them. He's patient. He disciplines them in order to bring them back to him. He acts generously, he's merciful, he's loving, and he provides absolutely everything they need for their flourishing and their blessing and their benefit. 
What's really interesting is Isaiah 63, verse 7, because this is kind of the summary. Let me just read it. I'll put it on the wall. This is the summary that Isaiah has for God's action with his people. He says, I'll tell of the kindnesses of God, of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised according to all, the lo- all that the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel according to his compassion and many kindnesses. Now the word for kindness there. In Isaiah 63, is the word chesed. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that's used all the time in the Old Testament to talk about God's steadfast love and faithfulness and his kindness. And you notice how kindness and compassion are so closely brought together in, those verse, in that verse. But the point is this. What we'll see is that what God's doing as he's loving his people with this kind of kindness is he's continually putting himself in their shoes in order to do for them and serve them for their good. So here's my kind of definition of kindness. It's this. Putting yourself in the shoes of others to serve them at a cost to yourself. Putting yourself in the shoes of others to serve them at a cost to yourself. Another great Old Testament passage that that kind of summarizes God's dealing with his people is Hosea chapter 11. And in verse 4, it says this. It says, this is God speaking. I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. What an amazing picture of the way that God deals with his people. He bent down to feed them. He lifted them up to his cheek, and he bent down to feed them. And that, the Bible says, that's what kindness is. That's what kindness looks like. It stoops. It gets down on its knees in order to meet someone where they are. It gets into the shoes of another person. It goes way beyond duty. It goes way beyond obligation. It's a choice to slow down and identify yourself with another person so that you can genuinely meet them in their hour of need. And One of the things that struck me about kindness as I was preparing this sermon was that so often... You can do the same action with or without kindness. It's really strange, isn't it, when you think about it. It's not so much about the end result. It's much more about how we are in the process and the way that we go about things. So, you know, I was sort of thinking about my own marriage, and I was thinking, well, in one sense, you know, Sarah might say to me, that we need to spend some time together. And we might say, right, okay, great, we need to spend some time together. Let's go for a walk. And we're kind of marching down the canal path or something. And don't necessarily kind of pay her great attention. But at the end of it, I sort of say, we have spent one hour, 43 minutes together. Good. 
See you tomorrow. But it makes a difference, doesn't it, if that time together is spent with kindness or not. You can achieve the one hour, 43 minutes together with kindness or without. It's not really about the act. It's about how it's done. And before we go any further, it's worth kind of noting that Kindness is not the same as niceness. Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, we kind of think of kindness, and we might think of, do you remember the old AA advert? You might not remember this, but there was an old advert, and, and, and there was, a, 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 I think it was two sort of older ladies who were helped by the AA um, mechanic. And they, they, they kind of drive away saying, he was a very nice man. Oh, he was a very, very nice man. No, he was a very, very, very nice man. And we think, oh, that's what kindness is all about. Well, not necessarily. Or we think of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, who's kind of Homer Simpson's neighbor, who's this kind of wet lettuce, who is sort of thinks that basically in order to be a Christian, he needs to be a complete doormat in everything that he does. But again, that's not kindness. But neither is that an excuse then for cruelty or meanness. Because we might say, well, kindness isn't the same as niceness, so therefore I'm going to be really mean. It's not that either. My, my granddad used to have a saying, and he'd just say, it's the kindest thing to do. But that was usually what he'd say when he was about to do something totally horrendous. It's the kindest thing to do. So, like, I mean, this is genuinely, this, my mum was traumatized by this for years, but when my mum was about 10 years old, he shot the family dog in front of her. He was a farmer. They had different rules, as far as I understand. But he basically shot the dog. But he did it saying, it's the kindest thing to do. Now, actually, it might, it might have been the kindest thing to have put the dog down. I kind of presume it, it was. But it wasn't the kindest thing to do it in front of my mum at the age of 10. She's never quite recovered, I think, from that. So what do we mean? You know, if that's not kindness, that's not kindness. There's also a kind of fake kindness, isn't there? Which is really about being nice. Being really nice. But in order to kind of get something, you might call it manipulative good deeds. And we're kind of quite good at that, aren't we? But actually, it's not the same as kindness. And sometimes we kind of think we're being kind when actually we're doing everything in order to get a return, get something back from someone else. So I was reminded of, um, there's a kind of movement called Random Acts of Kindness, R-A-K, Random Acts of Kindness. And we can all be ractivists, which basically means we're kind of on a, on a mission to pursue random acts of kindness in the world. And they're things like smiling to people or 
leaving a little note in a, in a library book or taking the bins out for your neighbor. Small gestures that actually might brighten up someone else's day. And I kind of looked on the website and I thought, Do you know what, there's something really lovely about this. And it really showed to me the power and the beauty of kindness. And that's what this reactivism is all about. It's kind of saying, look, when we experience kindness, it is powerful. It's really amazing. It's an extraordinary thing. It can change our lives. But the thing that kind of slightly unsettled me was that so many of the things were so random. So, I mean, the clue is in the name, random acts of kindness. But actually, it's not really what the Bible means by kindness. Kindness is about slowing down and actually putting yourself into the shoes of another person and saying, what do they actually need? It might not be a little note left in a library book. It might actually be a very practical way that we can serve and support them. In a sense, it's a kind of drive-by kindness, (laughs) where you're just sort of running along, living your life entirely the way you want to, but then scattering this kind of kindness out there to see if anything will hit. But actually, so often that is driven by a desire to feel good about ourselves. We know that actually if we're kind, it it blesses us. It, It makes us feel better. We kind of finish the day by saying, oh, I was a good person today. And of course, the whole emphasis on action alone, acts of kindness, here are the things you can do, actually emphasizes legalism rather than this virtue from the inside out. But that's not to say there's not something just fundamentally beautiful and powerful about this kind of action in the world. It's just to say, you know, when the Bible talks about kindness, what it's talking about is something that actually is impossible for us to do in our own strength. In fact, in in Romans chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. It's a kind of moment of great clarity and honesty in the Bible. He says, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. And there is no one who does good, not even one. And that word for no one who does good, that word for doing good is the word krestotes, which is the word Paul uses for kindness. So what he's basically saying is there is no one who's kind. There's no one who is truly kind. Which brings us back to really what we thought about at the beginning. We're being commanded to do what we cannot do on our own. So where do we see this kind of kindness? Where is kindness displayed? Well, faith read for us earlier, Titus chapter 3. Perhaps if you've got Bibles with you, you might like to kind of see those verses again. I'm just going to read them again to us. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Sorry, verse 3. I'll start from verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 
We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So the point really is this. We were really living just like the Old Testament people of God. Rebellious. uh, Foolish in all kinds of ways. Disobedient. And as a result, enslaved in our passions and desires. But God was kind to us. In fact, it says, when the kindness kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. What he's saying is, when Jesus came into the world to save us, when Jesus came into the world and took on human flesh, that act, what we call the incarnation, was basically kindness on legs. That's what it was. It was kindness in human flesh. In fact, it was God stepping into our shoes. That's what it was. In order to save us. He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. So as Jesus died on the cross, he's dying in our place, in our shoes, taking on himself the punishment we deserve for our rebellion and rejection of God so that we might be forgiven, welcomed into his family as his children and shown mercy and kindness and love. The cross is the supreme act of kindness from the the supremely kind person, kindness on legs himself, Jesus. If you read the Gospels, Jesus wasn't always nice. In fact, his kindness towards the Pharisees was usually with a very strong and sharp rebuke. In a sense, he put himself in their shoes and said, well, what do they really need? And so his kindness, actually in that instance, wasn't very nice. But when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I wonder if you've ever read them thinking about how often Jesus is interrupted. In fact, it'd be worth doing that. Just read the Gospel for yourself and think, how many times is Jesus interrupted? When he's on his way to doing something, something happens and gets in the way and stops him doing what he's meant to do. Now, What are you like when you are interrupted? What am I like when I am interrupted? Faith, what am I like when I'm interrupted? You don't need to answer that. It's okay. 
but I get irritated. I get incredibly dismissive. I've got my plan. I've got my agenda. I'm doing my thing. I was sharing this on, on, um, on Thursday because once a month we have a, a little preaching group where those of us who are church leaders in the city can gather together and we just, it's just to sharpen our preaching. So we, we sort of share what we're going to be preaching on this week and where we've got to in our preparation. And I was sharing this with the group and there was just, uh, we'd split into smaller groups and one, and one of the guys said, well, it really reminds me of this bit from Luke's gospel. So I just want to read to you uh, this little bit from Luke chapter 19. And I just thought this sums it up, this sums it up perfectly. So Luke chapter 19, and this is the story of Zacchaeus. Now, if you've been to Sunday school, you know one thing about Zacchaeus. He was a very little man, a very little man indeed. But let me read to you the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And just at a basic level, you see the contrast between the meanness of the crowd and the crowd are grumbling. They're like, oh, he's a sinner. Oh, he doesn't deserve to spend time with Jesus. Look at him. He can't get close. He's got to climb a tree because nobody wants anything to do with him. He's a reject, he's a reject basically, in all kinds of ways, for all kinds of reasons, mainly because he's a tax collector. And contrast that with Jesus. Jesus is supremely kind to him. In fact, what we're told in, in verse 1 is that Jesus is entering Jericho simply to pass through. He's not planning to stay in Jericho at all. Jericho is just a, a, a point on the map that he's, he's, he's flying through because where's he going? He's going to Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. So, you know, you think you've got important plans. Jesus has got important plans. He's come into the world in order to die on a cross for our sins. And he's on his way to that. And yet he's interrupted. 
So what does he do? Get out of my way. I've got really important things I need to be getting on with. I've got God's business on my mind. No. He's kind. There's no real reason for it. Why? Why pick a man out of the tree and say, I'm going to come and have tea with you, Zacchaeus? Why do it? See, kindness is just about deliberately going out of our way. Slowing down. It's totally unnecessary. And yet it's incredibly beautiful. And actually for Zacchaeus, it is life-changing. So how do we develop kindness then in our lives? Where does it come from? How do we get it? How do we grow in it? Because what's your favorite subject in the world? What's my favorite subject in the world? It's me. It's not anybody else. I am my favorite. If if I was on Mastermind and they said, what is your chosen subject of which you are an expert? I'd say John James. Tell me questions about him. Because I think about him all day long, and I think he's wonderful. And I suspect if we're honest, we're all a little bit like that. But kindness is about putting ourselves into the shoes of other people. What is it they need? How can we meet them in their need? And as I've been preparing these these sort of talks on the fruit of the Spirit, I've been reading various books on the fruit of the Spirit. And one by a man named Chris Wright says this on kindness. And I thought this was just so helpful for us this morning. He says... In Colossians 3, there are two commands. The first is that we are to do everything in the name of Jesus. So he says, listen, as we go about our daily lives, we need to be asking that question, what would I do if I was Jesus? Or what would Jesus do? There's those bracelets, aren't there? What would Jesus do? WWJD. In a sense, he says, that's that's what Colossians 3 is all about, doing everything in the name of Jesus. If I was Jesus right now, what would I do? But he says there's a second command as well in Colossians 3. And it's that we're to do everything as working for the Lord. So not only are we to live our lives thinking, what would I do if I was Jesus? We're to live our lives thinking, what would we do if they were Jesus? What would we do if that person was Jesus? And I suspect that that is the beginning of how we start to develop kindness and a kind of attitude of kindness in our lives. What if I was Jesus and what if they were Jesus? In fact, it's pretty much what Jesus himself says to us in Matthew 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
And there's, there's the sheep thinking, why? Why do we get the inheritance? Why are we in God's kingdom? Well, verse 35 says this. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Feed you. When, did we, when were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What if I was Jesus? How would that change things? What if they were Jesus? How would that change things? And Jesus is saying that is the hallmark, that is the mark of a real believer. That's how we know the sheep from the goats. Well, why? Why is that the mark of a believer? Well, it's the principle of Zacchaeus, isn't it? That basically, when we have experienced kindness, the kindness of God, it will change our lives. In fact, the gospel if it is the supreme act of kindness towards us, ought then, it will necessarily lead us to a sacrificial kindness without expecting any kind of return at all. Because if we're content, if we are at peace, if we are joyful in our own shoes, all because of Jesus and all that he's done. If we're like that in our own shoes, we can then begin to walk in someone else's shoes. Without judgment and without expecting payback. It's inner security. It's inner security that creates outward kindness. The kind of kindness that is truly radical, truly otherworldly, not random, but highly intentional in its love of other people. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was rushing. I was rushing around. It was, it was quite late at night. Uh, I'd nipped up to Sainsbury's um, it was it was late and uh, and I, I was on, I was sort of on a mission just rushing in I can't remember what I was getting coffee beans or something like that I think it might have been coffee a bag of coffee or something like that I was I was just in my own mind rushing and I rushed straight past a, a, a homeless man who was sat by the doorway um, begging and well asking for money and I just kind of didn't even didn't even acknowledge him, really. I mean, I think I maybe smiled towards him, but didn't slow down. I didn't even, I didn't, I showed no intention whatsoever of slowing down. I was just on a mission, doing my thing. 
no real eye contact, just on my agenda. And I was reflecting on that. It just kind of came back to me as I was preparing this sermon on kindness. God was convicting me and saying, John, you know, why weren't you kind? Why weren't you kind to that man? And I was thinking, well, why wasn't I kind to him? Well, really, it's because I wasn't prepared to be kind. I hadn't given it enough thought. I, it wasn't my intent. I wasn't walking with an intention to be kind at that moment. I was walking with an intention to buy coffee, get out there, get home, go to bed, or whatever, it, whatever I was going to do. But why wasn't I prepared to be kind? Well, in part, it was because I simply didn't care enough. I had more important things to do in my mind and slow down. In part, it was because even in that moment, I'd made some assumptions. I basically said to myself, I probably can't help this guy in a way that he really needs. I'm not sure what he needs, so, you know, me slowing down isn't going to change that. I made all kinds of assumptions just straight away. I didn't make time because I was feeling rushed. I was in a rush. But why was I in a rush? I I wasn't really in a rush. I felt rushed. But could I really not have just slowed down and had a conversation, seen where it led? Part of me was unsure of what the right response should be. I made an assumption straight away that what he was asking for and what I was prepared to give would probably be two very, very different things. Based on experiences I'd had in the past, conversations I'd had in the past, I'd just made a whole load of assumptions. But they weren't based on a conversation with him. And so I just was not prepared in that moment to be kind. See, kindness is not an accident. Kindness is about walking with the Spirit. And if we begin to have a habit, cultivate a habit of walking with the Spirit in our lives, maybe it will begin with those two questions. What would Jesus have done? And what if he was Jesus? How would that change my interaction? And that habit can only grow out of a deeper grasp of the kindness of God towards us. He says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Let's pray. Father, as we think about our own lives, 